Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Command Space. I'm Mike Hurley and with me today I have Mr. Tom Merritt of Twit. Hi Tom. Hi Mike. How are you? I'm well, thanks for uh, having me on. No, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. To have uh, someone of your podcasting caliber is, is, is a treat indeed. Um, and that, I have I've never had my caliber measured, but I uh, appreciate the compliment. Maybe we'll do that before the end of the show. <laughs> yeah? Do you have calibration it's a British mechanisms? <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. I have, I have it running. I have, it's a plug-in to GarageBand. I have a calibration measurement, so I'll give you oh, a score awesome. at the end. Um, so you can look forward to that. Very good. So um, for anybody that doesn't know you, Tom, and I, I would doubt that that would be anybody in our audience, but um, I guess you are podcaster at twit would that be the, the best way to describe you now sure yeah i mean I, I sort of my two main things i host tech news today a daily tech news show on twit this week in tech and i also co-host the sword and laser book club shows with veronica belmont uh one of which the video show is on the geek and sundry network yes which is a that's a youtube video dealio right we do an audio podcast on our own and then we'd have a video version that's a that's the youtube thing which is uh, that you've got quite an impressive set for that. Yeah, we lucked into uh, being put in contact with a guy who used to work at ILM uh, who does his own model shop and does like a bunch of Hollywood stuff. And he was excited about our show, about the idea of the show. And so he gave us a very, very much better set than we could have afforded otherwise. It, it was a really nice uh, of uh, Fonco to do that for us. It's, very, it's a very sweet set. You've got like a robotic dragon. Yeah, he's a he's a movable dragon. He's not quite robotic yet. There are big plans for him. He can articulate uh, someday, but he's 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 kept kind of quiet. So uh, one of these days, maybe he'll talk. <laughs> we'll have to just wait and see. Yeah. Hopefully, you will know about it before it happens. Otherwise, that could make for quite a fright. It could, although that would be fun. Uh, just you know, that's good TV, right? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> you um, from from. My knowledge of, of your work and Wikipedia, too, would tell me that you kind of started out your podcasting days with CNET. That, yeah, that is correct. Uh, I had worked as the executive producer of the website at techtv.com up until 2004. And when I came over to CNET, I was hired by a former tech TV person named Candy Myers, who kind of carved out a cobble of things that needed to be done at CNET, but it was, a, it was a weird job. I was in charge of the CNET homepage, but I was also in charge of some new help and how-to content and this and that. And she basically said, find things that we should be doing and do them. So one of the things at the time was podcasting, which had just kind of gotten off the ground with the Daily Source Code and, and Coverville had started to come out. And so we, we planned on how to do podcasts. It was at the same time that CNET was trying to figure out how to get into blogs. <laughs> and I started doing a uh, weekly podcast about tech news that was 10 minutes long with Molly Wood. And uh, eventually that got longer and became daily and became Buzz Out Loud and uh, it went for seven years. So um, this kind of leads nicely into a question that we had from our listeners, um, well, from one of our listeners, at Bracken um, on Twitter. And he asked, what was the decision like to make the move to, to Twit? And I guess kind of for me, what, were your, what, what was the reasoning for you for why you wanted to make the jump? Sure. Uh, it was a heartbreaking to leave Buzz Out Loud. Uh, it was a show that I had created from the ground up with Molly Wood. Uh, and uh, she had she – had, 
at some point reduced her involvement and she had just started increasing her involvement again. Uh, so it was good to be kind of having the team back together. And Veronica Belmont was instrumental in the early days and she had left. Uh, so it was kind of bittersweet to be the next person to take the move. But the reason I wanted to go work at Twit was I wanted flexibility to do other projects. Uh, at CNET, I was doing a lot of video. Uh, I was doing some podcasting, but podcasting really wasn't a priority for CNET. It just didn't really fit into their business plan, uh, and 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 rightly so. It's not it's not what they had built their business around. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do more of that stuff. And what I was running into was the ability to kind of go off and do stuff that CNET wouldn't do uh, required a lot of paperwork from CNET. Uh, and a lot of work on my own. And I wanted to be somewhere where podcasting was central. And that's that's what Leo Laporte offered at, at Twit was come here, do a podcast, and it will be, you know, it will be among the most important things we do. And Leo gave me absolute flexibility to do whatever I want. There was no non-compete or anything else. So I didn't have to file a bunch of disclosures if I wanted to go off and do other shows. And, and so that's, that's what I did. In fact, to my, to my detriment a little bit, when I started at Twit, I did a bunch of shows on Twit. I did a bunch of independent shows. Uh, and eventually I had to kind of pull back and, and focus on the things that I wanted to spend time doing well uh, but I'm glad I did because it gave me it was the right thing for me to have that flexibility to be able to try different things. And you've seen, I mean, some massive, like a massive change at Twit, going from like the real small cottage to like the huge professional studio that you've got now. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to ride the crest of the wave. Uh, it, it, you know, when I when I started at Twit, it was pretty much Leo and some shows by Dr. Kiki. And, uh, and it was Sarah Lane and myself came in at the same time, uh, and both put a bunch of shows into place and, and, you know, really beefed up the schedule to the, to the point that they had to actually take some shows off. Uh, the first, mm-hmm. the first round was to take the shows from pixel core by Alex Lindsay and say, well, we're not going to carry those on Twit anymore, which Alex was fine with because he had his own network. It was just sort of helping Twit out, giving them some extra programming. Uh, and then eventually uh, there was the move into the studio. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of the independent shows that weren't produced by Twit got taken off the air uh, as, as things grew and grew and grew. So it's been really fun going from that, that really rough and tumble startup time uh, into this this uh, arena uh, that we have now, this huge studio, this massive studio with all of these advantages, uh, but still kind of keeping the spirit of those early days. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you've become a TV network, you know, but it, it just, it just, it just, everything just looks better and, and you don't, it doesn't, it's not so awkward for you or for people to watch that these three or four people like we've Tech News today crammed into one very, very small room. Yeah, it solved a lot of problems for us moving into that studio because the cottage, the little house that Leo had been in, was really meant for Leo, uh, for one person. And uh, tr- trying to trying to get the roundtable show in there uh, was was kind of difficult. So now that we have our own set, I don't even think about that anymore. I don't think about the the changing of the guard every day when Leo would try to move out and all the audience that was in there watching him would have to move <laughs> out and then we'd have to squeeze in. Uh, none of that happens anymore. It's nice. There's, there's room for the audience too. They don't have to be stepping on each other's toes. Which is also nice. So you mentioned TNT is probably your, your biggest project, right? I imagine that takes up the majority of time for you because you record um, early in the morning your time, uh, about 10, 11 a.m., right? So, yeah, I think that makes people laugh when we say that it's early in the morning our time because it's like almost lunch. But yes, 
It's yeah. the earliest show on Twitch. It's, it's, you know, it's earlier than, I guess, a lot of podcast networks or things yeah, yeah. like that start, right? So it's kind of the morning show, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that for you, it must just be um, straight up in the morning, straight onto a myriad of tech sites searching for news, right? I assume that's how your day kind of starts out. Yeah, pretty much that's right. I mean, the the majority of my day is devoted to tech news today. Uh, I get up at six, I grab my iPad, I fire up Reader, uh, and I start looking at all the feeds uh, that I subscribe to, trying to get a, a kind of an eye on the landscape of of what the news is. I, I, I check those those RSS feeds throughout the day, even after the show, to try to keep them under control. But mm-hmm. the, the morning is when I really focus on stuff. Uh, and then I will go to Google News, techmeme.com, and our subreddit, technewstoday.reddit.com, and see what's floating up at the top of those sites. What's, what's, getting, what's getting the algorithm love from Google News kind of tells me what's being covered, you know, what's buzzing. TechMeme kind of gives me a, a different perspective on that same thing with more of a human intervention of what an editor thinks mm-hmm. is buzzing. Yeah. And then the subreddit gives me a, a, the same sort of thing from the audience perspective, what they think, or at least a section of the audience thinks. And so I'll kind of cobble all that together. I'll come and sit down on my desktop and start making a lineup. And by 7, 7.30, after about an hour and a half of this, I've got a good idea of what our top 10 stories are going to be in the news views off the top. Uh, I've got a couple ideas for what stories I'm going to use uh, to lead in discussion. Sarah Lane and I as Actar are in the, in the doc choosing their stories. We'll, we'll chat in the Google Doc chat a little, kind of coordinate things. And then uh, I write up my notes, do some research, uh, kind of make sure that I've got all my facts in order, see if there's a story behind the story, jump in the car at uh, around 8.50, 9 o'clock, uh, drive into Petaluma, which is about 15, 20 minutes away, uh, sit down, check those feeds again, make sure nothing hasn't broken, start looking at uh, the emails that IAS has selected and finalizing which emails, finalizing the randomizer, uh, making sure that we've got all the ducks in a row on all the stories, answering any last-minute questions, and then we do the story, uh, do the show at 10. Uh, that The show is about 35. Five forty-five minutes. Been getting a little longer lately, and so by eleven we're done with that show. Then there's a little post-show cleanup, just answering emails and checking things, and then I'm off to other stuff. Now I have to, I mean, personally, from one podcast to another, I applaud you for the tech news stuff because this show. I mean, this is only episode ten, but that we I did a show before this um, where I did 117 episodes of it and it was called The Bro Show and it was a it was a tech news show we had guests on every week but we spoke about tech news and it can be a tough slog sometimes yeah well the, there, there's there's lots of different ways you can go wrong and I've done them all uh, in the <laughs> seven plus years that I've been doing this kind of show both Buzz Out Loud and Tech News today uh, you can you can miss things you kind of have to know just enough about everything to make sure that you're not making a huge mistake. You know, have to know enough to know what you don't know. Yep. Um, and then there's the, uh, the facts that, that people get wrong. I mean, we're not a large news gathering organization. We're a news interpreting organization, which means we rely on what the sources out there are saying. And the sources being the news companies, CNET, TechCrunch, and Gadget, The Verge, Ars Technica. So I, I've learned quite a bit about who to trust and who not to trust and how many mm-hmm. questions and secondary sources uh, to go after uh, to, to avoid those pitfalls. But then there's also just the days when there's just not that much interesting to talk about. 
uh, and trying to find those stories that can spark a good discussion because it brings up a wider issue or something that, like that. I mean, we, we especially in the summer, uh, we'll, we'll sometimes scrape a little bit. But, you know, our, our audience saves us in all these situations because they're so good at on the subreddit and by email uh, and on Twitter and all the different avenues, chat room, and letting us know what they want to hear about. So we've got a little bit of a safety net there. It was the summer that kind of made me decide I didn't want to do this that type of show anymore <laughs> yeah. because sometimes, I mean, there are a couple of times where it would come to sort of a couple of hours before we were recording and there was nothing to talk about. So I'd have to just make something up, you know, like we would discuss something totally off the cuff with our guest or whatever. And it could be, and, and that was kind of like I, I was sort of fed up of relying on other people to create my content, you know, or like the base yeah. for it. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult uh, if, if you don't have a lot of, of, of safety nets built up. And that's, that's why I have that process of looking at Google News, looking at tech meme, and looking at the subreddit is even on a day when I look and go, I don't see anything here, it will tell me, well, this is what people think is important today. And it helps, yeah. it helps me to question my own biases and say, okay, well, that didn't look interesting to me, but why are people buzzing about that? Maybe I'm missing something. And that helps. But yeah, those days in, in July and, and early August, uh, if there's not been a big, you know, somebody quit as CEO or, you know, some surprising arrest of someone, <laughs> uh, you, you can get pretty thin. And that, that, that's what I, I, I found. We end up going for the broad stories. Uh, you'll, you'll find a news hook for them. But, you know, the story may not be that interesting in and of itself, but you pull out the like, well, what, is it, what does social networking mean for us these days? And you end up doing those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. You talk around the topic rather than yeah, around yeah. the topic. So um, I want to take a quick break here to talk about our first sponsor for today's episode. Uh, before we carry on, I've got some other interesting things to discuss with you, sir. Um, and our first sponsor uh, this week is Drafts. Now, Drafts is an iOS app uh, for iPhone and iPad. And what it does is it allows you to capture notes, ideas, um, or status updates, and then it allows you to share them with a practically limitless array of options. So let me explain that a little bit more. So let's say, for example, you pull out your iPhone, um, and you've got a quick note that you need to take. So let's say it's, let's say it's a task that you've got. You can open drafts, um, and the app opens straight away, and you've got a blinking cursor, you can just start typing. As soon as the app is open, you're ready to start getting your faults down. And then, you, after you've got your draft in, so you can then export it out, and there are so many options. So you have some that are built-in iOS functions, like sending it as an email, text message, a calendar event, and you can also post to Twitter or Facebook from there. But then you've got some extended functions. You can save these notes to Dropbox. You can save them to Evernote. You can print them. And the app drafts also works with a bunch of different applications using URL schemes. So you can send your drafts out to apps like OmniFocus, Things, Agenda, Tweetbot, and many, many more. They're adding more and more every day. So like I say, with that task, you can open it up, you can type it in straight away, send it out to OmniFocus, job done. And it's really, really fast and fluid and really simple. They have super fast and super easy syncing between drafts on your iPad and your iPhone, which makes sure that you always have your notes with you no matter where you go. Drafts for iPhone is $1.99 and for iPad is $2.99 in the App Store. And you can visit agiletoolters.com forward slash drafts to learn more, and there will be links in our show notes for that. But what's more, we have a giveaway this week. We're going to give away five copies of drafts 
to some of our listeners. All you need to do is go to the show notes, which can be found at 70decibels.com forward slash C-M-D-S-P-A-C-E. And you will see a link that says click here if you want to uh, enter the competition. So it says click here and tweet this text is what the link says. So all you do is you click through and you'll see you'll just be presented with some text. Copy and paste that into your Twitter client. Send the tweet. All it says is that you uh, have heard about drafts on our show and you want to win a copy. Also, you need to follow at 70 decibels, which is our Twitter account. Um, So we'll be able to DM you if you are one of the lucky few to win one of the copies of Drafts. So I want to thank Drafts and Agile Tortoise for their support of 70 decibels. Right, so Mr. Merritt, I hope you're still here. Yes, actually, I was looking at Drafts. (laughs) It's a really great app. Really? I use Simple Note, and I see that it uh, it actually integrates with Simple Note. It can send its notes there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, like, what? Because the thing about Simple Note is you kind of open it, and then you have to press a button to start right. a new note, right? But exactly. With, with drafts, it, it's already there. It's just waiting for you. And you I can, like that. Uh, it fits really well in that getting things done mentality of like just get it out of your head. Just capture. It's all about capture. Yeah. Ubiquitous capture, I think it's called. Um, I don't get enough things done, so. <laughs> So it's something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, a couple of weeks ago, well, it's actually on the old show, so it was a couple of months ago, we had Dan Benjamin of 5x5 on. And uh, I've actually got him on next week as well, so I'm sure we'll be continuing the podcast theme. Um, Excellent. But we were talking about um, competition in the podcast space. Um, I have a good relationship with Dan, um, and you know we, we're, we're friendly and... and I've had a bunch of his hosts on our show, and I've got you from, you know, you're, you're mainly, well, you sit at, at Twit, which is another network. Sure. Um, and you've gladly come on here today, very kindly. And I just find it an interesting thing that um, in, in our arena, in our field, the po- in podcasting, there isn't really that, there isn't really vicious competition. You know, there, there isn't a lot of bad blood. Um, you know, everyone's really willing and eager to help each other out. and People are always there to give advice and stuff. And I just wonder from from your perspective, if one, you feel that it is that way. And if you have any insight as to why you think it might be. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of 5x5 uh, five five and what Dan's doing over there. In fact, I, I wish uh, I could get to know him better, but I know we're both so busy. Uh, it, it, it's hard to match up schedules, but I'd, li- I'd like to get him on my shows for, for the same reason. Like, uh, it's just, it's, it's everybody has a different perspective. Everybody's trying to figure out how to do all of this stuff. And so you want to, you want to share notes. It's, it's that geek mentality of when, when you find out you both are into something, whether it's, you know, Babylon five or Ubuntu or what, you know, what, whatever it is, you start to have that conversation on a different level where someone's like, Oh, you understand, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so those of us who do this kind of internet shows, podcasting uh, thing, I think we 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 like to see each other doing it because it means we're not the cra- we're not entirely crazy. There's other people doing it as well, and and I think it's a different reason why we do it than maybe some other media, and and that may change eventually. But most of us are doing it because we really like doing it. We're passionate about our content and about having a conversation and reaching out to an audience. And so we're not in it to like steal all the advertising dollars from everybody else. Uh, and, and maybe it helps that there aren't that many advertising dollars out there to begin <laughs> with. Uh, so, so it's sort of a moot point. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's more about creating a new medium. And I, and I think that engenders a more co uh sort of atmosphere. That, that's Leo Laporte's 
coinage. He he calls it that because there is some competitiveness, uh, and some people are more competitive than others. I'm not very competitive by nature, uh, but I I work with a few people who are. Uh, Veronica Belmont be the first to admit she's very competitive. But even those people realize, you know, it doesn't help you to hurt the other person. It's going to help everybody if we get more people into podcasts. And the way you get people into podcasts is to have lots of really good podcasts. So I feel like that's, those are some of the the things that, that underpin this. It's more of a community than an industry. Yeah. That that's a really good way of putting it actually. I think that's a nice cherry on that, that fault. Like the, it isn't, you know, and you were saying as well about like advertising dollars and audiences and stuff. I feel that as a big group, the more that we do this and the more people we get in, involved into podcasting, the bigger our audiences can be and the more advertisers take note. Like, I mean, if we look back a couple of years, um, the advertisers were very small and they were internet companies. And now there are companies like Ford that sponsor the stuff that, that you guys are involved in. I mean, and that's you can't get much bigger than Ford, right? You know, yeah, right. It's a car company. Exactly. That's, a, that's all the TV networks. When I worked in television, all the TV networks were knocking themselves over to get car company accounts. That's how you knew you had made it. Because that is as well, maybe not now, but at least a few years ago was as big of an industry as you could get. Right? Yeah. They're huge, and, and Ford. And they is, spent a lot of money advertising. And it's not like you've got a very small car company. You know, I can't. Maybe like Tesla, for example. Sure. That you know those guys that they would even you would expect to be more involved in that sort of stuff because they're like a cool tech company, but Ford is the the daddy, right? It's the big one, and I just think that it's really interesting to see that change, and that kind of leads into sort of what I wanted to ask you next: What do you think the future of this industry is? That's a very good question. Uh, I think the future of podcasting is sort of riding along with the future of media in general. And, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it fits in. I, I do a show called Frame Rate, which is a weekly show with Brian Brushwood where we talk about cord cutting. Uh, and we joke a lot that it's like doing a tablet show about tablets in 2001 when you know there's like a few Microsoft tablets out there, but you're pre-iPad. Uh, nobody has solved that cord cutting business yet. Everybody's got different ideas and some of it is on your mobile device and some of it is set-top box. There was just a story today uh, that the, I think it's Gartner estimates that more television from the internet is now watched on an actual television than on a computer or a mobile device. So it's, it's a turning point. You know, People are actually consuming this stuff in the ways that they've consumed things before. I think for audio podcasts, the equivalent is ubiquitous, wireless, fast internet. Uh, so on my cell phone now, I can listen to uh, live streaming audio without too many interruptions in my area, which was impossible just three years ago. So radio is going to be changed over to be internet. A television is going to be changed over to be internet. And you've got all of these people who've been doing podcasts, which is just on demand, radio or television, that are going to slot in to that new system, whatever it is. And I, I think, uh, I think probably the pattern we'll see is the pattern we've seen with other businesses. Brick and mortar didn't go away, but your Amazons and your Ebays uh, kind of took over large segments of the audience. Craigslist took over classified advertising. And some of the old-fashioned folks were able to accommodate and, and 
move in and stay alive. Best Buy here in the U.S., for instance, is still hanging on, although it's questionable how long they're going to last. Uh, so I, I think you'll see that where some of the podcasters and some of the existing folks who know how to do, do this will survive because they have the advantage and they'll slot right into whatever this new system is. Uh, and some of the old media will go away and, and, and some of it will adapt. And I, I think we'll see wider choices. I think we'll see the ability uh, to reach a wider audience. But we're, we're all sort of sitting here waiting for that platform that can deliver what we want to everyone. I feel like audio podcasting in particular has maxed out the audience that is willing to go and download audio and listen to it on their mobile device. Uh, that doesn't mean that, that shows can't grow because they're, not everybody's listening to everything and not everybody knows everything that's out there. Yeah. But I think the overall audience has kind of reached a, a peak and we need something new to make it easier for people to discover shows uh, than downloading and syncing. And, and we're just starting to see that with some apps and, and, and some services, but nothing's really cracked it yet. Something that always, it doesn't concern me, but it's something that I think about a lot, is Apple's kind of hold over our industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that iTunes is kind of like the backbone for a lot of what we do. I mean, they don't host, but they're the main storefront by, I would, I mean, I I don't know any percentages, but I'm sure that the, that iTunes holds a massive, massive hold over the industry. I mean, if I look at our stats and it shows where our listeners are coming from and I know that it's iTunes, does it concern you at all that a company that... I mean, really, the podcasting is just another place for the store, right? It's just more content that Apple can offer. Does it concern you? Like if if, if Apple just said, we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, well, or they come out with an app that isn't very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I'm glad that somebody else feels that way. I feel like I was the only podcaster that doesn't like the app. I mean, I think that there are so many problems with it, um, and it's actually a step back um, from from what they were even offering previously. Um, how does that sort of stuff make you feel? Do you, do you get worried at all about what Apple could do? Yeah, particularly with the app, I feel like it's absolutely the right idea for Apple to do a podcasting app, but they just haven't done it quite as good as they usually do things. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I'm, I'm disappointed in that. But there are lots of apps that do. You know, there's Stitcher, there's Downcast, uh, there's, uh, I, I'm forgetting uh, some of the best ones out there. But there's tons of apps that allow you, and I, I've moved on to using those yeah. uh, instead of syncing. And so that that makes me worry less, right? Because now there's a way to discover podcasts from an app in Android that doesn't have Apple involved. And I, I think it was great when Apple put podcasting into iTunes because that's what boosted podcasting. Yeah. Uh, podcasting was simmering. And when Apple came along, it just grew. But it hasn't grown a lot since that. So Apple's done about as much as it can do for podcasting. Uh, and, and so it doesn't concern me as much as it used to. It used to concern me because I felt like, God, geez, if Apple pulls the plug, that's it, right? Uh, it really fizzles. But there are so many other places where podcasting exists now. And there's so many other ways to do podcasts, it, particularly with video, that I, I, I'm less worried. I get less worried over time. And I think we just need, in, in, in both audio and video, probably separate events to have that platform come along that makes this available to the masses 
And maybe Apple makes that platform, and then maybe the worries come back. But yeah. uh, but I, I feel like we're Apple and iTunes have kind of helped podcasting stay alive and and you know kept it nurtured uh, and and in a way that makes it ready to make the leap to. Mm-hmm. You still there, Tom? Sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've, you just went out there for a second on Skype. Uh, next yeah, level the was the last thing. I, oh, the next level. The next level. Yeah. Can you imagine where we'd be if it was still audio? Yeah, we wouldn't have Twitter because yeah. they would have stayed. <laughs> I mean, I just wonder what would have happened. <laughs> it, I just wonder if we would be here now if Apple wouldn't have done what they did, and I, probably not. Um, that whether we, you, and I would be, maybe, maybe not, probably not, because uh, I don't think podcasting would be as big as it is. Uh, but I do think there would still be podcasts because that's the nature of the internet. If you can do it, somebody will. Uh, it's just that what Apple has done is kept it viable, so that you can have a lot larger selection and people can have a, a lot better success at it. So, I mean. You work as part of a podcast network. Um, I'm trying to build one here, and Dan has his. And I guess you know that's kind of the way that um, it works in in our corner of podcasting. I mean, because real, me- you know, like old media does their shows, but it kind of seems like networks is kind of the thing that people are um, are, are working on. I know that you um, are involved in the is it the Frog Pants Network. Yeah, yeah. I lo- I love Frog Pants. Scott Johnson, uh, host of the Instance. That's sort of his most successful podcast has created something really interesting with frog pants because again, it's like you say, it's not about competition. Uh, he is creating a network that's focused on the podcasters and the community. So if anybody has a show, uh, you know, amongst the people that Scott knows and works with and trusts, they can basically put it on the network and there's no, there's no centralization, which is entirely different from the way twit, uh, and and most of the other networks I know operate, and th- and that's no criticism of either model, but it's it just shows how much flexibility there is to say like, well, I'm going to do it differently. I'm not going to do a network in the old uh, in the old style, uh, and I'm not going to do it for necessarily the same reasons. In which case, the old style might be a better way to do it. I just I want to create a community of podcasters, uh, and that's that's pretty cool. Do you think that these networks, like in whatever form that they take are the way that we should go like because it's effectively like channels right that's this what the networks are they're they're like tv channels and they have programs on them do you think that that's the right way for for podcasting i think it is a right way uh i don't think it's a wrong way i think there's a lot of advantages to doing channels i know dan patterson uh is doing a co-point channel that's kind of focused on politics. I've talked to a lot of folks who want to do channels based on news. And so I think if you've got a genre in mind and you're wanting to kind of position yourself to be available for that always on internet connection, when people really start taking advantage of it, a channel is a really good idea. Because even if you're not doing live streaming now, it kind of sets you up to be able to do that or or even take your, your pre-recorded stuff and put it in a streaming channel so that people can li- consume it like radio, that lean back, like, I'm just going to put it on and listen. Uh, and I think it's very useful for that. I think that also there's still plenty of room for the independent producer in podcasting to just say, you know, I'm going to do my show, my one show, uh, and put it out there. Yeah, I guess it's always important that we have them. And I mean, I'm always concerned in, you know, people that create shows and they want to be part of a network. And I just don't think that's always necessarily the right way to go. I don't think people should ever start a show trying to to be picked up 
as it were. Probably not. No, it's the wrong reason to start a show. I mean, at at this point still in podcasting, if you are starting a show, you should be starting it not because you want to get rich, not because you want to get a large audience. Uh, That's the tail wagging the dog in in my estimation. I would say if you're going to start a show, you should start it because you care about that topic and you want to discuss and reach out and explore that topic. Yeah, it needs to be, I still say this to people, it needs to be a labor of love because there isn't a lot of money. The money that there is is small comparatively um, to, to what people expect advertising money to be. Um, and it's really difficult to find it. Yeah. Like super uh, hard. Uh, well, and there's so many reasons for that. And, I, and that is the thing that frustrated me the most at CNET was our numbers were big. You know, we had the, we had the engine of CNET behind yeah. us, uh, which gets millions and millions of people every day. Uh, and so we were getting decent numbers on our podcasts, uh, most of them anyway. And yet they couldn't be sold. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around a company with a, a huge sales force, mul- you know, multinational sales force, yeah. uh, dedicated to, to bringing in millions and millions of dollars into this website, couldn't sell podcasting. Mike, but you have a number. You have two million people, and we even know a little bit about them. It's not like they're just you know we we know they're this percentage male and this age and you know all that stuff advertisers like. Why can't you sell them? And it, it was my first realization that advertising is not what everyone thinks it is when you're just a consumer. Advertising is uh, as much about the concept and the feel of the buy as it is about uh, the metrics. I mean, I think we'd all love it to just be metric based, but, uh, there, there's a human element to it. And it's one of those, you know, no, no investor, uh, no broker got fired for buying IBM as was the saying back in the days, right. Or no, I, no it guy got fired for con- contracting with, with IBM. Uh, and, and no, no young agent placing buys, uh, got fired for buying traditional media, uh, and I'm buying, buying, traditional ways of advertising and podcasting is risky so if it didn't work or even if it worked and you couldn't prove it worked and the boss got mad uh you could be out on your ear so it's riskier and we podcasting needs to develop that standard of this is you know this is not only our way of showing you exactly who's listening and and why across different properties not just within a company but also uh that ability to say oh okay it's a trustworthy medium i know how it works uh i'm willing to buy on that uh which is why i think you see a lot of of the ads like you have like we have a twit where it's personal appeals because those can show a better return. They, they show a, a, people identify and they react, and it's easier to see the effect of it. Eventually, that'll go away, right? Eventually, what, what happens is, we saw this with television, you have those personal appeals for a while, but then the companies, when they start to realize that the medium works, want to control the message more. And so they take it out of the voice of the hosts, and you get advertising like you see on television and radio. Indeed. I think this might be the perfect time for our second sponsor now, um, which is Squarespace who give you everything you need to create an amazing website. Squarespace give you a fully hosted, completely managed environment that allow you to create your place online, whether that be a just a standard website or if you want to create a blog or a portfolio or you want to create a podcast. And the 70 decibels podcast network at 70 decibels.com, our website, it's on Squarespace. And the reason that I choose Squarespace is because I don't have to worry about anything. They take care of the whole thing. They take care of hosting. They take care of scaling. 
um, integration with social services like Twitter and Facebook. I don't have to worry about plugins or anything or crazy code of my own that I don't understand how to do. I don't need to worry about any of that. And the brand new Squarespace, Squarespace version 6, has arrived. And Squarespace 6 brings with it brand new, fantastic, beautiful templates. They're really clean and let your content do all of the talking. Um, They use responsive web design as well, which is fantastic. So everything formats perfectly for the type of device that you're viewing the website on. Um, They have a drag-and-drop system, which they call Layout Engine, which is their page builder. It allows you to create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You add blocks of content at a time. So you start with a blank page and you add content blocks um, like photos, videos, text, social media content and a lot more and they make that really easy um, by just allowing you to drag and drop I mentioned that you know the things like uh, domains, sorry I mentioned that hosting was uh, integrated as well as the templates and the design so I was going to say domains are also included as well with any of their annual or biannual plans and they have 24-7 award winning customer support to help you out of any problems that you might have there's absolutely no credit card needed to try out Squarespace. And I can give you a two-week free trial, so you can do that. If you go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels, you can start your two-week free trial. Squarespace is then $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for one year, you'll get 20% off. And if you sign up for two years, you'll get 25% off those monthly prices. What's more, I can give you another 10% off if you use the offer code 70 decibels 9 at checkout. At 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S-9. Um, and you will get another 10% off. I want to thank Squarespace for their support. Now, this isn't part of the ad, Tom, but Squarespace is one of those companies. They've been with us for, I think, since May now, um, on board sort of supporting us. And I know that they support you guys, and they support 5 by 5 and I believe they do some stuff for Revision Free as well. And yeah. they're a company that get it, right? And they support, like, independent creators all across the board. And I think it's, it's, that's kind of the thing that we were talking about was it's about once a company gets it and they understand how they want it measured and then it makes sense to them, obviously it works for them because they sponsor so many people of this, of this type. Yeah, I, you, you need more of the kind of companies like PodTrack uh, out there beating down the doors and explaining to people this is the benefit of this, uh, because it's hard work to get over that initial resistance, that initial questioning and, and not really understanding, well, wait a minute, I thought podcasting was that fad from five years ago. Why would I, you know, what, what do I get out of this? Uh, and, and, sh- and showing the value of it, because once you do and they start to realize the success of it, you get repeat customers and then they, they start wanting to, uh, to advertise everywhere or at least everywhere that works. I mean, I, I, I was talking to uh, the CEO of Ting and hover uh, for it's two cows is the is the company, and he was saying we don't really care what shows we're on as long as it works. It's you know that that's what guides us. It's not it's not a political decision. It's not oh well, we like these kind of people and we don't like these kind of people. It's he's like we we just want to be on the shows where where people respond and 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 I think that's true of every advertiser. And so the the initial reluctance is well I have all of these ways of advertising I already know work. Why should I take the risk of trying this thing that I don't know works? But once they realize it works, then they're going to come back. Indeed. So with the different shows that you do, you kind of do a mix of live and sort of live to tape. Um, what do you 
What do you feel are the benefits of, of, of Eva? And do you have one that you prefer? I prefer live, and, and that's why I do live to tape. Uh, I, do, I, I like the spontaneity. Uh, I like the genuineness of just going ahead, recording, and this is what happens. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, and it suits itself to a talk medium, I, I feel like. I mean, if I was doing a different kind of show, it wouldn't be uh, as good. If I were doing some sort of educational show or something like that, I might want more editing. In fact, how to... Uh, I feel like when I did a lot of how-to content at CNET, that that didn't lend itself very well to live. No. But uh, but just talk, analysis, news, uh, that that all is is better. I think if you don't feel like you could stop and and say it over again, uh, I think you get better interaction. It's more fun. You just learn to roll with it. So even the shows that I don't do live, it's not because I don't want to do them live. It's it's just isn't worth the trouble maybe, or, 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 uh, it's, it's the schedule isn't, isn't good. Uh, for instance, I do a, a rec, I call it a recreational podcast. It's the longest podcast I've been doing consistently called East meets West. It's my friend, Roger Chang and I, we don't even plan. We just talk about whatever comes to mind. Uh, and we do it just to kind of play around with the medium. We did it live on Twit for a while. And then it turned out that we, they really didn't fit our way of doing things because we had to do it at the same time every week and we wanted to move it around all the time. And that's just not fair to production people at Twit to do it. So we took it off Twit. Then we were doing it on Google Hangout for a while so that people could watch it while we were doing it. And, and we had this idea that if people wanted to join us, uh, we just put them in a circle of, of hosts and they could just kind of pop in. And that was fun for a while. Then people stopped popping in because the novelty wore off. And then we started to have problems with the stream uh, to where the recorded version was fine, but the people watching on the stream couldn't hear us. Then it started interfering with our ability to, like, our connection. So we quit that, and we went back to, to just uh, doing it live to tape, uh, live, live to the recording on the hard drive. So I, 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 I think live is better. I, I would always prefer to have a spy cam up where people could see what's going on at the very minimum. Yeah, I mean... And I guess you've got the element of the chat room as well with Twit, which adds adds a whole other dimension. Yeah, I kind of when I do stuff that it's not live, I do miss the chat room. Uh, it, it it's a blessing and a curse to have a chat room going while you record, yeah. but uh, it, most of the time it it helps because you get a little instant feedback, and it's not about people. Uh, it's not about democracy. It's about seeing a reaction that you didn't expect and going, "Oh yeah, somebody could think about it that way." Let me clarify. Mm. Yeah, I've I've never, well, for my own shows, I've never done live, um, just because the pressure <laughs> of it, because it feels more to me like uh, yeah, it is at first. Yeah, you, you get used to it, but the first few times you do it live, it does feel weird because every because people are watching. It makes it more of a performance than a conversation, because me and you now we're just having a conversation between two people. But I think as soon as you put other people watching that. Um, it makes it totally different. Like it's it's easy for me to detach the fact that we have listeners from this conversation because they don't interact with me while it's happening. Yeah, you know. And then every and then from there, it's just numbers. It's a very good point because uh, we definitely had different types of conversations on East Meets West when we were doing it live than we did when we weren't because of that very factor of. Oh, well, somebody's going to hear this, so let me phrase this carefully. Even though we know somebody's going to hear it with the recorded version, too, they're just, you're just not going to get that feedback right away. Yeah, it makes it a different... You, you, you're just in a different mindset, I think. Yeah. 
talking about the live stuff, I think my favorite um, thing on Twit really is is when you do the live event coverage, so keynotes and stuff like that, and you get a bunch of you round and you're reading off the live blogs and stuff like that. And I just wonder from your perspective, because you always seem to be involved in that, um, do you enjoy the, the live keynote type stuff? Yeah, I do. I, I actually have a lot of fun doing it. I sometimes find it odd that other people enjoy watching us do it <laughs> it's 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 one thing when we actually have a stream like a, a google io and we're sort of the mystery science theater commenters on that 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 seems that seems understandable to me but the idea that someone else reading the same live blog that you could read at home is is somehow fun or entertaining just seems weird to me but it but it works, and people do love it. Uh, and we get our biggest streaming numbers well, on those Apple keynotes. I bet. I think it's the live punditry. I know that's what I like. If it was just you, <laughs> then it would be a bit weird. You know, yeah, if it right? Was just you just reading, reading word for word whatever <laughs> Tim Stevens wrote on Engadget or something. But to, you know, to have like you and Leo and Sarah, and, and you're sort of sitting around and you're having the discussion as the news is coming in. That makes that that makes it, I think, a, an interesting um, dynamic, especially to the listener as well, because I don't have four people to sit around with me and and talk to about it. Um, so it can be, it kind of feels like you're part more of a conversation. Yeah, and I think that's what makes a good podcast is the listener feels like they're just sitting around the table with the host of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and and I always say that I know I, I'm listening to a good show when I start to want to talk back. Yeah. To to the hosts. Um, it's I you know, I play World of Warcraft. I'm not a huge player of World of Warcraft, but the instance with Scott Johnson is one of my favorite podcasts just because it's always a fun conversation. Even if they're talking about this like really intense rating stuff that I don't understand and, and gear scores and all of that, they just have so much fun doing it. Uh that that I I can't not listen to that show. Yeah, I agree. There are shows that I listen to where I don't understand uh, some of the, the subject matter um, like I listen to build and analyze on 5x5 five five, and I have never developed anything in my entire life and wouldn't even know where to start but uh-huh. I just enjoy listening to the conversation of it um, as opposed to the fact that where I ne- might necessarily understand what they're talking about and that is you're right that makes a show listenable I think and that's down to the hosts and the and the chemistry between the hosts uh, and 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 it just makes it enjoyable. I mean, uh, you know, it, Marco and Dan get along on that show and they, they're, they're fun to listen to talking. And that, that's the key to any of these things. So I guess, I guess to bring it back, that, that explains why people do tune into these live blog, live coverage. It's because they, they want to be part of that conversation or at least feel like they're part of that conversation. This kind of uh, lends into another question. Um, this is actually from uh, Terry Lucy, who was my previous co-host on this show. And he kind of asked, it kind of fits in a little bit. He asked what you feel the impact of new social medias, and I add the chat room into this, um, to be, like, how does this change your responsibility as a broadcaster? Like, do you ever worry that you might have an opinion or something and say something and you're going to be mauled for it? Does it ever, do you ever feel that sort of burden? Yeah, well, I I definitely know that if I, if I ever express an opinion, I will be mauled by someone. <laughs> uh, just just today, Any opinion. we were we were covering the intel, uh, the leak that Paul Odellini had told uh, a group of employees that uh, he thought Windows 8 wasn't ready 
but it was the right thing to do to go ahead and release it. And of course, just because we were talking about Microsoft, a couple of Microsoft fanboys in the chat room started to talk about how we all were biased against Microsoft and we hate Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you're exposed to the raw radiation of that a little more with social media than you would have been before. Uh, that is bo- that's a double-edged sword. Uh, on the one hand, I think it's good because it gives me a chance to reach back out and say, hey, well, this, this, we're, we're not against Microsoft or we're not against Apple or for Apple. In fact, a, a couple weeks ago, I had one guy uh, say, boy, your coverage is always so anti-Apple. It was right after the, the announcement of the iPhone 5. And then a week later, someone said, you guys are so pro-Apple. And so I <laughs> at replied both of them and said, you two should meet each other. <laughs> Uh, and it was, you know, I, I don't know if it helped or hurt, but it, it, it definitely was something you couldn't do with that social media. It'd be like, hey, this guy says I hate Apple and you're saying I love them too much. You know, maybe you can you could see this. And and there are good stories of being able to confront a troll and and say, hey, I'm a real person. This is why I think I said what I think and being able to diffuse that. And then, there, of course, there are the times when the person is just does not want to hear. They're just a hater. Uh, and you have to – and that's the, the negative side is I have to be able to be willing to just let that go and say, you know what? Those people are going to exist. They're going to say their things. Just don't, don't engage. Don't, don't feed the troll yeah. uh, and let it happen. But, it, it, you know, there are some days when it can get you down. Now, that's all, that's all within the tech world. Uh, or it's sword and laser within the science fiction and fantasy world, uh, then there's something I try assiduously to avoid uh, is making any kind of religious statements yep. on my tech news show because very rarely does it ever appropriate, almost never. And then politically, I try not to make any po- political statements unless it's about a particular tech issue. If we're talking about net neutrality or copyright law, then it's fine to talk about those issues. But but yeah, to just kind of get into a broader uh, discussion, I, I just try to avoid that because I know that there are people out there who have an opinion one way or another or a persuasion one way or another that still want to hear the tech news. And there's no reason for me to get in their way. It's kind of the same reason that I don't curse on the show. I don't have a problem with swearing in, in content, but I know some people do. And there's no reason that they should have to overcome their aversion to swearing to hear the tech news. So it's, you know, and, and it doesn't add anything to add swearing to the tech news. And it doesn't add anything to add religious opinion to the tech news. So just avoid it. Yeah, like with, with cursing, people that enjoy cursing, they don't get let down because you don't. Yeah. Of course, there's the one person out there right now is going, actually, I am very let down that <laughs> you don't have cursing in your show. But yeah, most, most people don't, don't think of it as a, as a negative. Where if, if the, the sort of the opposite of that, it's a very different, very different thing. Like if you are easily offended... Yeah. Then it ruins it for you. You can't listen. Or you're, or you're listening to your kids and you don't want yeah. your kids to hear that. And you're like, hey, you know, I got kids in the car. I'm trying to listen to your show. I don't want to have to think, oh, I can't listen to your show because the kids are around, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Kid, kids in the car is the reason that we don't have any explicit content because it would – I know that some of our listeners do listen while their kids are in the car. Like I know yeah. that they actually do it. And when I first heard people doing that, it made me feel like I'd made the right choice because then it would mean they wouldn't be able to listen anymore and they would be missing out. And I don't think it's fair that they should have to miss out. Right. It's, I call it the can you explain it to a five-year-old test. Uh, we, can, we can have some raunchy illusions or, or veiled uh, innuendo yeah. as long as you could explain it to a five-year-old that, you know, without being nasty. Exactly. Uh, so du- double meanings are as far as we go with that. 
So I have one last question for you. And this comes from uh, Gabe Weatherhead, who is at MacDrifter on Twitter, and he's the host of Generational um, on 70 Decibels. And he wants to know, what is your favorite, or who is your favorite sci-fi author, and what is your favorite sci-fi story? Can be short or long. Ah, yeah, those are those are easy questions because I've I've had them before. Uh, and and actually, the author is 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 incredibly easy. Philip K. Dick by uh, leaps and bounds. Actually, to my own detriment, Philip K. Dick is my favorite sci-fi author. I was introduced to him in college, and I I went on to just voraciously read everything I could get my hands on uh, by him. I don't claim like some fans to have read every single thing he's wrote because he wrote so much but um but yeah he is he is by far my favorite author and i haven't read as much as of so you know the Werner vinges and isaac asimov's and arthur c Clarke's as maybe i should have mm. uh because i spent so much time reading philip k dick and my favorite story of his is the man in the high castle and it was the 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 first one i was introduced to we were actually uh at, I was watching Blade Runner in a film class in college and in the reading materials, they explained that it was based on this book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick, and that he had also written other stories. They kind of went into a brief description and it mentioned The Man in the High Castle, which is a book that takes place in San Francisco after World War II when the Japanese and the Germans have won and have split up North America between them. And so San Francisco is Japanese-occupied uh, and is part of the uh, – I can't remember the exact name, but it's part of a, a sort of a puppet state of Japan. And then there's the sort of Vichy France of, uh, of, of things with the Rocky Mountain states that aren't directly occupied by either power, uh, but they, they aren't – they don't have any, any sway or influence of their own. And then there's the German-occupied part in the east, which you don't get to hear much about because it's kind of ominous. Uh, but I was just totally taken by the idea of that story, read that book, absolutely loved it, and uh, and w- went on to read as much as I could of Philip K. Dick after that. Sounds interesting. I've not I'm, I've not really delved into sci-fi as much as I think I should have done. So uh, that might be a good starting point. Yeah, well, there's so much, too. Like the, It's almost a comforting fact when I run into something. People are like, oh, you've never read this? I'm like, there's so much to read. <laughs> You'll never be able to read all of the good stuff out there. So I, I don't feel too bad. So, um, Tom, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure um, to talk to you. Um, where can people find you online? Where is a, where is a good place or good places? Sure. Uh, well, thanks, Mike. It's, it's been fun talking to you, too. Uh, this, is, this has been a blast. Um, I usually direct people to TomMerritt.com. It's M-E-R-R-I-T-T. Uh, that is the website that collects everything that I do uh, in one place. I, ha- I have WPO-Matic on my WordPress blog just kind of pulling, <laughs> pulling it all together there. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter ID is ridiculous. Uh, there's a long story behind it. It's AceDetect. A-C-E-D-T-E-C-T. If you go to Twitter and find Tom Merritt, though, you can find out how to spell the Twitter ID from there. And, uh, and I was doing Tom Merritt as a link Twitter where I would just you know put the links to everything I do. But somehow that RSS feed failed in August. I haven't gotten back and fixed it yet. Well, you won't, might not have the choice anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe the API that I was using got cut off. It's probably what happened. You're in the unfortunate situation like me I think a little where um, my name isn't always well especially the way I spell my name isn't always easy to for people to 
to grok and then choose a twitter handle that is also requires spelling (laughs) just spell everything you can't win yeah if you go if you're like why did you choose ace detect and spell it wrong uh go to bit.ly slash ace detect and uh (laughs) there's a youtube video where i'm explaining to dick DiBartolo how that username came about i think the fact that you have a standard response an actual bitly link (laughs) for it um is is in, an interesting thing it shows how much um you must have had to explain that in your in your life that you've now <laughs> created uh, a short url for it That's yeah well it was it was actually uh a fan created the youtube uh video uh and clipped it out and put it up for me uh and i can't remember if the fan also created the bitly link or i did at this point but it was it was nice of them to do because I think they were tired of hearing me explain it, too. 3,800 views. So a lot of people <laughs> want to know why. I but, guess so. A few thousand, anyway. Indeed. Well, Tom, thanks so much. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. And uh, I am iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E. And as I mentioned earlier on the show, uh, we are expected to be joined by Mr. Dan Benjamin next week of 5 by 5 And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode because it will probably be quite a lot of the same. <laughs> so uh, I, I like to think that people... Um, who listen to podcasts, champion the media and like to hear about it. Um, please tell me if that's the case, um, either way. And you can do that in a couple of ways. So you, you can get me on Twitter, which I'm imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and you can also contact us via our contact form at 70decibels.com forward slash contact, and then that will send me an email with your comments and questions. Um, and I always welcome them all and, and value them too. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of Command Space. Um, until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>